Do you remember this song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I wonder how many of you think this is a perfectly great song. Now, you think it's nothing wrong with that song. If you think there's something just slightly not right with that song, just raise your hand. It might not be quite right. I wasn't trying to trick you. <laughs> it's a real genuine reason why I asked you that question. Because we all sing it. We sang it in Sunday school. We taught it to our children. They sang it. But in reality, there's something just slightly not quite right about this song. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you why. All right? You ready? I want all of you who have heard about the love of Christ or known about the love of Christ for the very first time in your life. I'm not talking about later on. I'm talking about for the very first time, as far as you can remember, that you've heard the love of Christ from reading the Bible. Raise your hand. All right, now you know what I mean. Okay. Now those of you who heard that Jesus loves you from mommy or daddy or Sunday school teacher, raise your hand. Come on. See? See what I mean? So we're going to write the song today. And it's going to read, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my mommy told me so. Because that's how we were all taught the love of God. Somebody taught us that Jesus loves us. And then the Scripture was opened, and we saw that Jesus loves us from the Bible. And the Bible does tell us so. But somebody else has told us that Jesus loves us. This is very important. It's very, very important. I'm going to explain to you why. Because... All of us, without exception, all of us, have been impacted in our lives by somebody else. All of us, without exception, have been taught, have been discipled, have been instructed, have been helped along our Christian journey by somebody else. We all are indebted to other people for teaching us the Word of God. We are indebted to other people who played a major role in helping us grow up in Christ. If the person who impacted your life is biblically sound, if the person who impacted your life lives a godly life, that is wonderful. If the person who impacted your life has integrity to teach you only what the Bible says, that is Wonderful. If that person who impacted your life does not impose his or her philosophies or ideas or concepts, but only what the Bible says, that is well and good. If the person who has impacted your life or impacting your life right now is genuine and true to the Word of God, that's well and good. But If someone came into your life and plucked one verse from here and a verse from there and built a system, a false belief system, a false doctrine, and developed an idea of his or her own, or a belief that belongs to him or her, that is inconsistent with the totality of the Word of God, then that person is dangerous. For you and in your life. 
Someone would say, how, how would I know then? How would I know if somebody impacting my life with the Word of God or somebody impacting my life the wrong way? I'm glad you asked because I want to answer that question. In fact, I want to enforce in your mind one word today. One word only. Only one word. If I succeed of convincing you that our most desperate need today and in the days to come particularly as we go on this generation, if I convince you of that one word, I have succeeded. What is that word? Some of you probably guessed it already. Discernment. That's what you need to remember today. Because if you do not have discernment, if you are not exercising discernment, if you are not practicing discernment, if you think that one teacher is as good as the other or as right as the other, then I want to tell you this is dangerous. I want to talk to parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders. I want you to listen to me. I think if I have to do it all over again as a father, as a parent, probably I can tell you this in all honesty, if I have to do it all over again, I would have worked harder in how to train my children in the area of discernment. Perhaps instead of landing hard on this or on that, and as they will confess to you, I have. But God's grace overruled my failure. But if I have to do it all over again with my children, I would train them on how to develop their critical skills, on how to develop a sense of discernment, so that when they hear somebody, when they read somebody, they'll be able to make a distinction. Thank God and their mother overruled my failure. But listen to me, parents, Sunday school teachers, grandparents, youth leaders, students, small group leaders, listen to me. I can tell you right now, as I'm standing here, that the greatest legacy that you can leave those whom you lead, the greatest legacy is to show them how to be discerning, is to show them how to discern truth from falsehood. Haddon Robinson is one of our fine theologians of our time tells a story that's absolutely the most incredible, fascinating story of a young Chinese who wanted to learn all about jade. Those of you who do not know, jade is a Chinese precious stone. And he wanted to know all about jade, so he found out an older man who is an expert on jade. He is an older, wiser man, but he was renowned in his knowledge of jade. So he went to see him. And the first time, the man said, yes, I will help you. So he thrust a piece of jade, that precious stone, in his hand. He said, keep on holding this as I talk to you. <laughs> and then began to tell him philosophy and stories and history. And the young man just sat quietly. Then he came back the next session. He did the same thing. He gave him that piece of jade, held it in his hand for a solid hour, and then he started telling him history and philosophy and all kinds of stories. And then he came back the next time, and he did the same thing again. 
And in a typical Chinese fashion, he's so polite, he couldn't really contradict the, 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 his elders, and, and, but he was getting frustrated. He was getting angry. He said, what is this going on? I go in there week after week, lesson after lesson, and all he does, he thrusts this jade into my hand, and he just tells me all stories. So I said, I think I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him I'm sick and tired of all these stories and philosophies and history. I'm going to... So he goes in there, and the day he made up his mind to speak up, The man thrust in his hand a piece of stone. And before the boy could open his mouth, he said, This is not jade. And the man said, That's exactly why I have succeeded in training you. All this time, while he was telling him stories, telling him history, telling him about philosophy, this young man was feeling jade in his hand and getting used to it and getting used to it, so that the moment another fake stone came into his hand, he recognized that it was in jade. Beloved friends, I want to tell you something. If there is a most desperate need of this generation to have, it is to be able to distinguish truth from fiction. It is to be able to distinguish truth from lies. We have people in the political world and in the Christian world and the church world They tell a lie, and they make it sound like the truth. And we need to be discerning. We need to distinguish, not only between right and wrong. We need to teach the younger generation to be able to distinguish between who is telling the truth and who is not. We need to have discernment to distinguish between what is primary and what is secondary, what is essential and what is unnecessary, what is permanent, what is transient. What is good and what is the best? Without the hard work of discernment, I can tell you on the authority of the words of Jesus, you will drift away from the truth and you cause yourself a great deal of pain and a great deal of suffering. But if you develop the spirit of discernment, which God longs to give you, you will save yourself a lot of grief and a lot of pain. Because according to Jesus, drifting away from the truth has a price tag that is very costly. Now I want you to turn with me, please, to the words of the risen Christ in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2, verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. To the angel of the church of Thyatira, write... These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, and your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches the hearts and minds 
and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only to hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, without your Spirit, we cannot discern what you, Lord Jesus, are saying to us today. I pray in that mighty name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, the name at whose mention every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, our eyes be open, our ears be open. In his name I pray. Those of you who have been following the previous three messages of the risen Christ to the churches in Asia Minor, will notice that this fourth one is really the longest of all messages. Uh, A man by the name of R.H. Charles said, the longest message to the least important city. Thyatira the town was a small and insignificant town in comparison with all the other six cities of which we have looked and we will be looking at. Thyatira was approximately 40 miles from Pergamum. If a mailman is taking a delivery, he would be going a circle, making a full circle, starting in Ephesus, into Smyrna, up to Pergamum, and then to Thyatira, and then the next three messages we'll see him coming down to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so, this is the message of the risen Lord Jesus Christ to the believers in that city of Thyatira. It was founded by Alexander the Great, and its claim to fame was that it was the headquarters for the trade unions. The trade unions have their head office there, their headquarters there. The main industry was the wool industry and the dye industry, but more particularly something called the purple dye. They exported purple dye all over the world from that town. And the primary god of that city was the Greek god Apollos. The main pressure upon the believers in the church, and we've seen pressure coming upon the Christians in the other three churches so far that we looked at. The pressure was coming from the Roman authority. Some other churches were suffering from Jews who were hatred of the Christians and who were delivering them to the Roman authority, but not here. Here the pressure, not necessarily coming from the Roman authority, although there was some pressure, not coming from the angry Jewish community. No, no, no. Here the pressure was coming from the church. It was from the inside. It was an inside job. I'm going to explain that in a minute. You see, to hold a job in Thyatira, you have to be a member of the trade union. You cannot have a job without being a member of the trade union. To be a member of the trade union, 
You have to, every trade union, whether it be the leather workers union or the wool workers union or the dye workers union, each union had a patron god. And to that patron god, they had a festival. And in those festivals, not only offered food to those idols, to those gods, the patron gods of each union, but they also committed sexual immorality in these temples. So, if you want to keep your job, you keep your mouth shut about Jesus, or you can lose your job. We don't know whether that pressure was really great, because it doesn't tell us here. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Some of the people in the church, particularly a woman by the name Jezebel here, says, look, Christians, you don't need to lose your jobs. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to give, pay a price for your faith. You don't have to do that at all. All you need to do, keep Jesus, but go and practice sexual immorality. You go into all these sexual immorality uh, pagan festivals, and then on Sunday just go to church. Isn't that easy? Let me tell you something, Christian. Compromise always takes the pressure off Christians. Compromise will always take the pressure out. But I want to tell you something. The blessing comes when you stand firm under pressure. And so... This kind of compromise began to be accepted in the church. Not everybody practiced it, but at least they tolerated it. This one woman in particular who was pushing this kind of teaching called Jezebel. I don't want you to miss this fact that the pressure on the real believers was coming from the church and from church leaders. Don't miss that one. Not from the hostile Jewish community, not from the pagans. No, it's from the church. And I want you to see four things here. First, I want you to see the commendation of Jesus. Verse 19 of chapter 2. Secondly, the concern of Jesus. Verses 20 to 23. Thirdly, the command of Jesus. Verses 24 to 25. Lastly and fourthly, the counsel of Jesus. Verses 26 to 29. The commendation of Jesus. If you look at verse 19, the love, the faith, the service, the perseverance that the believers in that church were practicing was not lost on Jesus. Jesus said in the Gospels, not a glass of cold water given in His name will be forgotten by Him. In fact, this is the very first church that we have seen so far that we are told that they were practicing love, that they loved one another, they loved the Lord Jesus. Fidelity to Jesus, faithfulness to Jesus, unashamedly identifying themselves with Jesus. All of these qualities earned them the praise and the commendation of Jesus. You see, when we thinking and talking to somebody who has done something wrong, we forget all the good things and we focus on that one wrong thing. Not so is Jesus. He first of all points out all the good things they've done. He praised them for what the, the good things they've done. He said, you have demonstrated your love in action. Probably they served in soup kitchens and in uh, homeless shelters. Probably they've given to help others and given generously. Probably they worked hard and they were very practical in their service. All of these were praiseworthy. But then you notice he moves very quickly after one verse and goes in to say, secondly, 
he tells us about his biggest concern. Actually, the word concern is an understatement. It's his heartache. You can see it in the words. You can feel it in the pain with which he speaks to that congregation. He said, I have this against you, he said. What is it? He said that you have been so lacking in discernment that you are accepting falsehood for the truth. You have been so lacking in discernment that you cannot distinguish between true teachers of the Word of God and false ones. That you are so lacking in discernment that you have allowed wolves in sheep's clothing to become leaders in the church. What's the indictment? Verse 20. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. What was this woman? This prophetess who claimed to be a prophetess. What was she teaching? First, of course, we don't know if that's her real name or she earned a description of Queen Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament. You remember the name Jezebel became associated with treachery, became associated with idolatry, became associated with murder. Just as Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament brought Baal into the very heart of Israel, as she dignified the worship of Baal into the very heart of God's people, so is this prophetess in the New Testament was doing the same thing in the church in Thyatira. What is she doing? Well, from history books we know that one major Greek philosophy, pagan philosophy, was called dualism. This is before Christ. It was rampant in the Greek culture. What is dualism? Dualism says basically that the soul is good, the body is bad. In fact, many of the Greek philosophers, those of you who studied philosophies, know that they felt or they taught that the soul is imprisoned inside the body. The body is bad, but the soul is good. And the soul longs to be set free. So what happens after Christ died and rose again, and the gospel being preached in Greek culture? Some of those people took that pagan philosophy, and they baptized it into the church of Jesus Christ. They put a nice dress on it, and they said, okay, then the spirit must be what concerns God, but the body is not. And therefore, we can do to the body anything we want, and it doesn't bother God at all. Now, I want you to think just for a moment. It would take me hours to tell you how many pagan thoughts have invaded the church of Jesus Christ today. They got baptized and look like Christian teaching, when in reality, it's pagan. And you see, that's what this woman was teaching. She was teaching this dualism, that what you do to the body doesn't matter to God. God doesn't care, because only the Spirit is what concerns God. And so she came to the church and she started teaching this stuff. And she said, look, as long as you never renounce Jesus Christ, as long as you never deny your faith, as long as you go to church on Sunday, as long as you do these things, it's okay. You can do the other as well. 
And that's what she was teaching, this false teaching in the church that was breaking the heart of Jesus. And probably many people, because the Bible tells us there were few who stood firm and would not compromise, but they were tolerating, all were tolerating it. And they're probably saying, well, you know, she's entitled to her opinion. (laughs) You know, leave her alone. She's making the church grow. Leave her alone. She's a good fundraiser. Leave her alone. Things are going. Things are happening. Crowds are coming. Leave her alone. She's being seeker-friendly. Beloved, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. There is not a preacher of the Word of God and not a Sunday school teacher, not a Bible teacher, that should not write those words deep on our hearts. Matthew 18, 6, here's what Jesus said. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Beloved, listen to me. Lack of discernment is no excuse because it will lead many astray. And when you hear people say, God does not care about human sexuality. God does not care about sexual purity. God doesn't care about marital fidelity. Please tell them to read Jesus' message to the church of Thyatira. And that is why quickly I want to come to the third part. And that is the command of Jesus. Verse 23. The command of Jesus. Jesus calls himself the searcher of the hearts and minds. He is the searcher of your heart and your heart, your mind, your secrets that nobody knows but you. His eyes, in fact, if the Bible is being written today, would say like a laser beam going deep into your heart, deep into the recesses of your mind, deep into your secrets. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your motive when nobody else knows it. He knows everything. He is the searcher of the heart and the mind. The very eyes of Jesus, the Bible said, are going to protect the believer. He said, I'll protect you and guide you with my eye. Those same eyes are going to judge the unfaithful believers. And that is why Jesus is so gracious. He's so gracious. And he's giving this false prophetess and her followers who are blindly following her saying, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to repent. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to turn from your rationalizing of selfishness and immorality. He said, I'm going to give you one more chance to turn away from sin. But if you don't repent, and we saw in the last message that Jesus is long-suffering, he's patient, and because he doesn't react in the first 60 days, it doesn't mean that he has his eyes winking at your sin, no. He said, if you don't repent, you're going to face pain and suffering. But for those who refuse to defile themselves with these false teachers, Jesus is saying, oh, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. He is saying, hold fast until I come. 
You know the truth. Your spirit knows the truth because if you are born again, your spirit is already healed. Your spirit is already connecting with the Holy Spirit. You are made whole. Just hold on to the truth in my word. Stand firm and don't compromise until I come. Jesus' commendation. Jesus' concern. Jesus' command. Fourthly, Jesus' counsel. Look at verse 26 with me, please. It is probably one of the most incredible verses in the whole Bible for me. I could spend several messages on verse 26. It is incredible. As the kids would say, it is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It's, I want you to hear me right on this one. Listen, if you forget everything I've said so far, please, I plead with you. Don't forget what I'm going to tell you, okay? But just don't forget what I'm going to tell you. Because I know that we all, and including your pastor, are constantly pulled down with the rubbish of this world, and we tend to forget the goal that's awaiting us. We tend to get bogged down in the mud of this world because we forget that awesome power that is in store for us. That's why this verse is incredible. What is it saying? It's saying that for the faithful believers, for the faithful stewards, they are going to reign and rule over nations. Can you imagine that? (laughs) We're going to reign and rule over the whole universe. We're going to have the power of Jesus. We're going to have the strength of Jesus. And we're going to have the authority of Jesus. We tend to forget our destiny and we get bogged down in our circumstances. And see what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying faithful believers are going to execute authorities over nations. I know probably some of you are asking, why are only the faithful believers? Why not all the believers? Listen to me. I'm going to tell you why. Because we are going to enforce Jesus' righteousness. We're going to enforce Jesus' holiness. We are going to enforce Jesus' delegated authority to us. So pray, tell me, how can he entrust unfaithful believers to run the universe? And that is why Jesus gave us one parable after another, one parable after another. And he said it over and over and over again in the Gospels. He who is faithful with little is going to be faithful in much. How can you, if you're not faithful with the little I've given you, are you going to be faithful with things of the kingdom of God? How, how, how? It's all over the Bible. And that's not me, it's Jesus. Only the faithful believers will exercise authority in the life to come. Only the stewards those who know how to manage the resources that God has placed in their hands in this life will be able to manage for Jesus in the life to come. Not only that they will reign with Jesus, secondly, he said, he will give them, his faithful children, the morning star. What is the morning star? Jesus. Jesus himself. In other words, we are going to share in the glory of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you even fathom that? Can you even take a moment and think about that? That we're going to share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are turned their back on the darkness of this world are going to be able to reign with the light of the world. 
Listen to what John Stott said. He said, those who will turn their backs on the darkness of sin will see the light of Christ's glory. And so, my beloved friends, two things I'm going to leave with you. Two things. First of all, discernment. Discernment will keep you from false teaching and false teachers. And when you stay away from false teaching and false teaching, when you uphold the truth, when you faithfully stand firm and not compromise, you will reign and rule with Him. You will share in His glory. Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus, confessing how often do we get bogged down in in the blessings that You've given us. We get so consumed with the blessings, the little blessings that You give us. The magazines tell us how many billionaires we have in America now. Oh, Father, without you, they are paupers. Lord Jesus, we know that your promises are true. That for those who are faithful, you will give the morning star and rule over nations. I'm going to ask you for a moment. Just take, take time. Take a moment. Right now. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I know the devil and the flesh want you to absolutely ignore that voice. You've got plenty of time. You've got plenty of things to do. Not now. But let me plead with you. And may Holy Spirit, it pleases you to use my weak words to penetrate deep into every heart including mine wake up and look up and anticipate sharing in the glory of Jesus and if you're being unfaithful through the years say oh God help me I want to be faithful God I want to be a faithful steward of your boundaries. I want to be a faithful steward of my time. I want to be a faithful steward of my family. I want to be a faithful steward of my spouse. I want to be a faithful steward of my church. I want to be faithful steward of all that you have given me. Precious Lord Jesus. Precious Lord Jesus. It is your promise that for those who are faithful to the end will rule the nations and will receive the morning star. Father, I pray in that name and mighty name of Jesus that you will empower us, that you strengthen us. In the times when the devil tried to make us think that this world is all there is, help us to speak a word of victory against that. Father, when the enemy comes in and try to bog us down with all of our problems and our difficulties, Give us a word of victory over that. And so, Father, that we may truly keep the promise of being faithful until the end. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.